Uh, we have, at, at our home group, we've been going through a series of uh, videos about evangelism. We just finished that up, and um, pretty good. I don't think they've been great, but they've been pretty good. Uh, but uh, lots of practical stuff about sharing our faith in our culture today. It's very different from where a cult, the culture that I grew up in, and many of you can, can identify with that. Um, and just some, some practical kind of stuff. So, you know, I like to think that when I'm up here speaking that the Holy Spirit has led me, it might be partly the series on evangelism, but God uses things like that to get us to where we need to be. Everybody with me? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I've entitled this message, Flinging Seeds. You'll get that in a few minutes, all right? Let's, uh, let's pray. God, today, as we look at your word, we invite you once again to speak into our hearts. May your word be preeminent. May the things that, that I say be pushed aside and instead that your voice is heard clearly. And Lord, may we walk out the things that you're asking of us as good stewards. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 16, Jesus talking, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Some translations say to everyone or to all people, depending on the translation that you're looking at. There's apparently at least a little bit of ambiguity there in the Greek. It could be literally all creation or it could be everyone. But if you think about it, even if it's all creation, it's still talking about all people, right? Okay, everybody with me? So apparently we have a mandate from the Lord to tell everybody about the gospel. The fact that we are sinful people who need redemption, but fortunately we have a God who loves us enough that sent his son Jesus to, to die in our place, to redeem us, to bring us back to the Father, to put us in right relationship with God that we might spend eternity with him. That's the gospel message. Our job is to tell that to everyone with no exceptions. So if we're supposed to tell it to everybody, according to this, then let, let's go the other way. Who should we not be telling that to? Good answer. All right, that wasn't a tricky question. Everybody with me? You're following so far, right? Interesting book that I read not long ago. It's entitled Reckless Faith. It's by a man named Kevin Harney. I really don't know anything about him. But in the book, he gives kind of an interesting twist on the parable of the sower, something that I had never thought about before. We're going to read that parable from the book of Matthew. It's also found in Mark and Luke, but for the sake of time, we're just going to do one version, all right, just to make it so we don't have to do a lot. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 3. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then you skip down to verse 18 where he explains it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, immediately he falls away. 
As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So let me offer you some thoughts on this. I didn't grow up around farming. I never had a real close, intimate relationship with farming. I've seen farmers plowing their fields from a long distance off, but never close. My dad actually worked for a farm machinery company when I was growing up, but that's about as close to the farming industry as I ever got. So this last spring, when Stephen was still in Wisconsin, I got drafted to help uh, my wife, she's over there cheering, uh, work in the gardens to plant some stuff, all right? So I got an up-close relationship with this whole farming concept, and, and I found it interesting that what we would do is we would painstakingly dig each hole to approximately the right depth without actually taking a ruler out there, measuring in between, see how far we're supposed to be apart, all of this stuff, very, very careful. And I'm really disappointed that my daughter and heart is not in here because I wanted to tell her that at one point that I actually did take a ruler out there and measure, she would be very excited about that. But I, now, now some of you are sitting here and, and you're going this guy isn't nearly as smart as I always thought he was because what I'm telling you is stuff that you, some of you have been doing for decades, all right? This is just normal kind of thing. But for me, this was a real education. I had never seen this before. And here's why I'm telling you this, because especially among the poor people of the world, they, and this is not just an exclusively a poor, poor person issue, but people take seed very seriously. They, they treat it very carefully because it's valuable. If you go to, a, if you go to a, a village in, say, South America or Africa or China and you watch them plant, they're going to do pretty much what I just described Barb and I doing. They might, may not have the modern farming tools that we have. You know, they might look at you and say, what is that thing? And you'd say, it's a shovel. They're going to they're going, to, they're going to do just what we did. They might use a stick to dig the hole, but they're going to plant a seed. They're going to cover it up. I mean, just pretty much the same idea. What are they not going to do? They're not going to just take that seed and throw it around. That's never going to happen. See, because especially among poor people, which would have been the culture that Jesus was talking to back here, they recognize that seed is valuable. What they will do, what farmers do. You know, you've heard the old adage, don't eat your seed corn. Because if you do, you're not going to have anything to plant next year. You take a certain percentage of your crop and you save it for next year to plant it. Now, we don't generally do that here in our country now because most of the seeds that we have are hybrids. If you were to plant them next year, you're not quite sure exactly what's going to come up. It just doesn't work quite the same. But most people for honestly, for centuries, for thousands of years have done the same thing. They save some of their seeds for next year to plant it. That's just the kind of the, the way it works. And if they're going to do that, if they're going to take some of those seeds, harvest them, dry them out, store them over the winter in a relatively cool, dark place, they're going to all this trouble. What are they not going to do with those seeds? They're not just going to throw them around. That is not going to happen. It can't. And that's one of the reasons I find this parable fascinating. And you have to understand... If you read 
all three versions, whether it's Matthew, Mark, or Luke, they all say pretty much the same thing. This is not, he, he doesn't have a hole in his bag and it's not accidentally falling out. He didn't kind of accidentally drop some. Matthew said it, but Mark in chapter four, it says, listen, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, Luke, same thing, a sower went out to sow a seed. As he sowed, the farmer, the sower, as he sowed, some of the seed is going over here, some of it's going over there. He's just throwing seed around. Appears like he has no idea what's going on here. If he really knows what he's doing, he's not going to put it in the rocky soil, right? He's, not gonna, he's certainly not going to drop it on the path. It's not going to grow there. He wants it in the good soil. Otherwise, what's the point? And I, I hope that you understand when I am teaching... I try to be very cautious with my words. I always want to make sure that what I'm trying to convey comes across clearly. I, I, I choose my words very carefully. I can spend a very long time working on a single illustration or a single idea. If I am going to do that with my words, how much more so is Jesus, the word made flesh, going to do that with his words? He's not going to be careless with what he's saying. And so I don't think it was an accident that he talks about the sower flinging the seeds around. And think about where this parable ends up. The, 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 the seed is the word, the soil is the human heart, but the sower, the, the one that's, that's throwing those seeds out there, he is either, he's either blind or he is ignorant to where the seed is going. Don't take this personally, but I think Jesus is describing you and me right there. We're just not that smart. We don't know what the soil is like. We can't, at the very least, we cannot see into the human heart. We don't know where that seed is going. We just need to keep flinging our seeds out there. We need to keep sowing. See, I don't know about you, but I find myself sometimes being overly cautious with who I'm presenting the gospel. I don't know, that, that, that big biker dude over there with all the tattoos, he's probably not going to want to hear me talking about the Lord. Or that, that stern-faced Hispanic woman, she probably won't even want to talk to me at all. How do you know? You can't see into the heart. Fling those seeds out there and see what happens. God's the one that's got to make it work. And yes, I recognize that we're not supposed to cast our pearls before swine. I realize that. But let me ask you a question. Do you think it would be better for us to be too free with the gospel message or to be too stingy about it? Yeah. And I also understand, this is not, I, I, in, in saying what I'm saying, I'm not negating the idea of the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us. Clearly there are times that the Holy Spirit shows us very accurately exactly what we should do and who we should talk to, all right? Uh, some of you remember Scott Weimer he used to be here. He was actually visiting last weekend for the memorial service. Scott used to pastor a church in Wisconsin. And last weekend when he and his wife Kelly were staying with us, he told us that when he was pastoring, somebody had called the church one day and said that they needed financial assistance. And while Scott is talking to the guy on the phone, God shows Scott this guy's name, that he is an addict, and specifically what drug he is addicted to. It's kind of hard to argue with that kind of thing, all right? 
And here's the deal. God does that. I recognize that. But he doesn't always do that. There are times that we need to, as good stewards, simply apply the truth of the written word, the Bible, to our lives. So when we read earlier, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation or all people, I think we've got a mandate from God to do that. We don't need to wait for a special word to make that happen. Are you following me? <coughs> Romans chapter 10, it says, how are they to call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? We have a clear mandate to be out there throwing seeds, to be sowing those seeds into those people that we encounter. One thing that we need to understand in this is that evangelism, discipleship, requires that we get close to unsaved people. See, that I think that oftentimes we have this attitude that we don't want to get contaminated. Think about it. That wasn't Jesus' attitude ever. I mean, he, he didn't just hang around. He intentionally went out and found those people, went after them. He wasn't concerned that they might contaminate him. Let me hit it from a different angle. Some years ago, I was at the, uh, the self-serve car wash in Hillsborough, and I'm vacuuming my car, and this guy pulls in in a big four-wheel drive pickup truck that is covered, I mean covered in mud. I have no idea how he could even see to drive. The windshield was completely, I'm like, how did you even get in here? And uh, so I'm vacuuming, but I'm also staring at his, his truck, and he obviously sees that I'm staring at his truck, and so he volunteers that he just came back from his favorite four-wheeling area. It's a creek bed that has lots of mud, and I'm thinking, oh, really? No idea. <clears throat> And so he tells me that he has to wash it because he wants to go back the next day. And, you know, I'm also thinking, well, that seems a little silly to me. But I didn't say that. Okay. Why don't you just leave it? But the next, uh, uh, later that day, I'm, I, I start thinking, and you guys know how my brain does weird things sometimes, all right? I'm thinking, I wonder if it would be possible for him to clean that truck so well that when he goes back to that creek bed, that not only will it not get covered with mud, but it would actually clean up the creek bed. All right, I told you it was a crazy idea. But think about it. That's what Jesus did over and over and over again in the gospel accounts. He made unclean things clean. And, and let's make sure we're tracking together. I'm not talking about dirt like the guy with the pickup truck at the, at the car wash, all right? There's a different kind of uncleanness. Uh, the Bible has lots of references to unclean things. Certain animals, uh, mice and geckos and pigs were all considered unclean. Uh, dead animals and dead people were considered unclean. Uh, people that had certain skin disease like leprosy were considered unclean. You know, it would take a long time to list all the things, but the people of Israel had to know because if you encountered, if you touched, if you came up against something that was unclean, then you became unclean. So if you, if you were to come in contact with a dead person, you were unclean. If you were to touch a pig, you were unclean. If you were to brush up against somebody that had leprosy, say it with me, you're unclean. Uh, so it was a pretty common kind of thing. And once you were unclean, you had to go through a certain ritual and a certain amount of time, depending on what it was, in order to become clean again. 
There were no get out of uncleanness free cards. There were no, there's no uh, shortcuts to getting out of it. Job asked the question, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? There is not one. And it's, it's, he's, he's right. It was possible for people to be unclean for a week, for a month, for an entire lifetime. Think about the, think about the lepers who when they came close to any person, they had to yell out, unclean, unclean. And that would be a little bit weird life, right? But then Jesus changed everything. Think about it. Whenever Jesus came in contact with somebody that was unclean, he did not become unclean. There is no indication in the New Testament that when Jesus came in contact with an unclean person, that he got that, if you will, that he, he became unclean. And he, he did it many times. No, as a matter of fact, what happened is just the opposite happened. They became clean instead of him becoming unclean. Kind of like taking that pickup truck out to the creek bed and all of a sudden the creek bed is just pure white. That's what Jesus did. And it seems to me that, that Jesus even had a tendency to, can I say it this way, flaunt the fact that uncleanness didn't affect him. The scripture that, that Rich read, did you read that in the notes ahead of time? Oh, I'm amazed at how God does that. Um, that whole story. Think about this. Jesus is going into a cemetery, dead people, you're with me. There's a demon-possessed guy, and there is a herd of pigs. All of those are unclean things. Any good Jew, when he got out of the boat, saw those things, would have gotten right back in the boat and headed home. He probably wouldn't even got out of the boat. Are you with me? But Jesus wasn't the least bit deterred. He just went right on in. He wasn't worried about it at all because he knew that what he had was way superior to what they had. And I find it interesting to note that not only does the text not indicate that, that Jesus didn't become unclean there in that place, which he should have been. Any other person going in there would have been declared unclean, but not Jesus. And interestingly, not the folks that were with him. They weren't unclean. Jesus did that, what I like to call his magic trick, over and over and over again. Just kept seeing people set free, be made clean. Now you might be sitting there thinking, well, okay, Tom, that's a great story, but what has it got to do with me and what's it got to do with what you're talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. See, I think too often we have a tendency to be afraid of getting too close to some people. Now, we might never say it, but we have this attitude in the church that we don't want to get contaminated by those unsaved folks. And yet, that's what Jesus did over and over. He went to them. He didn't, he didn't even wait for them to come to him. He went out to them again and again. And I recognize that, all right, we probably shouldn't Probably shouldn't go sit in a bar night after night after night after night. I get that, all right? Especially if that's the, the, the background that you came out of. But I think we're too often afraid. Who, who lives inside of us? Jesus, the one who, who made unclean things clean over and over. We have his power residing inside of us. What do we need to be afraid of? We've got the ultimate clean, if you will. We've got the message. We've got the redemption that people need. 
Let me try it from a different angle. Think back the Old Testament story of Jonah. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh to tell those people that he loved them. Nineveh was an enemy of Israel. They didn't like the Hebrew people. And Jonah, being a good Jew, he, he didn't want to go. He didn't want to see those he didn't want to see those people get saved, if you will. So he ran in the opposite direction. And you remember the story, God commandeered some special transportation for Jonah to get him to where he needed to be. And I find it interesting that at the end of this whole thing, Jonah clearly knew God well and he was upset with God. Jonah 4 Beginning in verse two, as he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knew that the Lord wanted the people of Nineveh to see him as a God who loved them. He wanted those people to repent and Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with that. Those people were gonna get saved. He wasn't gonna be involved. He didn't like those people. I think you and I have more Jonah tendencies than we like to admit. Those nasty liberals, why don't they just all pack up and move to a different country? Ooh, now he's meddling. See, if we're more concerned about their political opinions than, they are, than we are their eternal salvation, I think maybe we're missing something. Or the people that kneel during the national anthem. We want to blast them. But you know what? They're sinners that need redemption. And I seriously doubt if they're going to find redemption by screaming at them that they need to stand up and respect the flag. Don't get me wrong, I'm an American, I respect the flag. But what's the greater truth in all of this? Is it about respecting the flag? Or is the higher truth that they need eternal salvation? See, I think you and I have more Jonah tendencies than we'd care to admit. If you've ever seen the, uh, the visual Bible, Luke and Acts, uh, basically verbatim, right, from the NIV, it's really pretty fascinating production. Guy that plays Jesus, Bruce Marciano, I love his portrayal of Jesus in there. He's, he's happy, he's winsome. It's just a different kind of Jesus, if you will, than I had seen portrayed up until the time that I first saw that. But Bruce years ago, wrote a book, a really well-written book, uh, called The Character of a Man. And in that book, Bruce Marciano tells the story of a, a young man who actually ministered to women in a brothel. One of the ladies at that house of ill repute had died in a car accident, and the rest of the women there were able to take care of the funeral arrangements, except they, they still needed somebody to preside over the, the burial service, at least to have somebody come and say something at the grave site, but they had called church after church and nobody wanted to have anything to do with them at all. And finally, uh, a young man heard about their situation, a young man named Tony, 
from a social worker, and he called and said, look, I'm not a pastor or anything. I'm just a Bible student, but I'd be willing to come and help you out. They were excited that anybody was willing to talk to them, so they agreed. So Tony went, and he shared the love of Christ at the funeral. But that wasn't the end of the story. Because afterward, he asked if he could come every Sunday morning and have church with the ladies. And they agreed. And so he was able to come alongside them on a regular basis and demonstrate and show them what Jesus had done for them. And it wasn't immediately, but sometime later, that brothel ended up closing. Do you know why? Because one by one, all of the ladies were born again. They gave up their licentious lifestyle, got legitimate jobs. Two or three actually enrolled in Bible college. All because one guy was willing to step outside of his comfort zone, realize he wasn't going to get contaminated. Instead, he had something to take to them. It was far more meaningful. I think that's the heart of Jesus right there. friend of mine some time ago told me that she, uh, she had a co-worker that regularly used the Lord's name in vain. When he'd get upset, he'd say, Jesus Christ. And she didn't like that. She got mad when he would do that. She, said, she told me she felt like she really needed to go to him and tell her that that was offensive to her and he needed to stop doing it. I said, well, you could do that. But I'm not sure that changing his words is going to change his heart. I'm not sure that stopping him from saying that name is going to help him find that name that he's proclaiming over and over. I said, maybe what you need to do is to, in tangible ways, demonstrate God's love to that guy. I think that's going to have the greater effect. See, too often... Our idea is that we want to blast people. Maybe, just maybe, what God wants us to do is love them, to empathize with them, to demonstrate his compassion. I think he wants us flinging our seeds out there. It was uh, two months ago that my wife had a, a dream, had a big impact on her. Um, and the more that I've thought about this dream, the more I'm convinced it was a dream from God. In her dream, she and I were standing at the back of a, uh, a church gathering, and the congregation was uh, going into what she felt like was a uh, kind of a modernized version of one of the traditional creeds. But before they got to the actual creed itself, they made three statements that really struck her. They said, together they said, I will speak of the greatness of God, I will tell my neighbor of God's goodness. When the mic is put in my hand, I will speak. And she said that initially she was struck by the, 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 the individual commitment of making those statements. But then she began to, to recognize that there was, a, there was a unifying power in doing it together as a congregation, corporately together. And she also told me that that third statement uh, the, the, when the mic is put in my hand, she was, she, she was kind of pondering that. She, she was, did they pass a microphone around in the, in the service? 
And then she realized it's not really talking about a physical and actual microphone, but more a, a, a taking uh, when those opportunities come to, to go for it, to seize that opportunity, if you will. When the mic is put in my hand, I will speak. I will tell people about the goodness and greatness of God. I'm not going to miss this opportunity. I'm going I'm to talk about it. I'm going to speak. See, I think that's God's heart. I think he wants us flinging our seeds out there. Not all of it, we know not all of it's going to fall on good soil. The parable of the sower tells us that. But we still need to be throwing those seeds out there. Let me add one other thought before I start to tie this all together. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, Paul wrote this. The natural person does not accept the things of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You know, whether or not you think you can identify with a person because of their looks or their whatever, their personality, their background, whatever. And I'm talking about in sharing your faith, whether or not you think that that person can identify with you and you can identify with them, it, you still don't know their heart. And unless God opens the heart, all of your words aren't going to really make all that much difference. Jesus, talking to his disciples after the resurrection, were told that then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. See, that's what Jesus does. He's the one that opens the hearts and minds. If he doesn't do that, we're in trouble. The natural person does not accept the things of God. He can't unless God opens the hearts and minds. So I'm telling you all that because that means that we need to be praying for people around us, that God would open their hearts, that he would prepare that soil so that it's good soil, that he takes the rocks out, that he plows up that fallow ground, that he's making them ready so that when we fling those seeds out there, they're falling into good soil. So that's part of our job is that we need to be praying for those people. That seed is going to take root. It's going to flourish. You know, we can plant, we can water. Ultimately, God's got to be the one that makes it grow. Now, let me start to tie this together for you. What I don't want to do is leave us with the idea that, okay, now I need to go out there and evangelize. That is not at all what I'm saying. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. That's his promise to us. He is promising us power. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we now have the power to be his witnesses. It's already inherent within us. It, you know, if we have learned anything at all from Warren's preaching over the last several years, it's that faith is essential to anything that we do and especially anything that we do within the kingdom of God. It's, it's not a matter of us stealing ourselves up and saying, I'm going to go do it. It's a matter of trusting him, trusting his promise, that that promise is true. I am, I have the power to be his witness. He's already granted it to me. Now understand this, that doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play. We still have a role in this whole thing. See, I think what happens too often is that we pray for open doors, God answers that prayer, and we stand there and we admire the doorway. What a nice doorway. I had, uh, I had lunch with a, uh, a friend just a few weeks ago, and he prayed before we ate, and one of the things in his prayer just really struck me. He said this, Lord, we don't pray for open doors. You've already granted those to us. 
We pray that we would see and willingly walk through the doors that you've opened for us. Wow, what a great statement. See, I'm convinced that there are people all around us almost every single day who need the gospel. We encounter people over and over and over again. And we need to be flinging our seeds out there. We need to be planting those seeds into, what, what were the exceptions earlier? Who, who do we not? Oh, that's right, there weren't any. That, yeah, okay, just wanna make sure that we're together on that one. We're gonna, we're gonna pray in just a minute, but I wanna take us back to those three statements from Barb's dream because I think they're important. Barb said there should be a, an individual involvement that was there, but there was also that corporate, that congregational. Uh, and and I, would, I, I would even add, uh, besides just the, the fact that it's together, there's, a, there's an accountability that happens as we're, as we're doing it together. We're gonna say these three statements together. And if this isn't you, if you're just not comfortable with this, I'm not gonna force you to say it, all right? Not, not a problem. But for the rest of us, I want us to declare these things together, congregationally, corporately, just as an act of faith. That, Lord, we're gonna trust that you are in this moment working these things in us. Can we do that? All right, let's do it together. Ready? I will speak of the greatness of God. I will tell my neighbor of God's goodness. When the mic is put in my hand, I will speak. Lord, we ask that as we have made this declaration together here, that you would, in your mercy, cause these things to become more of a reality in us. Lord, we know that your word says that we're supposed to be witnesses and that you have even granted to us the, the, the power to be those witnesses. Lord, too often in the past we have not done that and we ask for your forgiveness. But Lord, we do ask that from this day forward, you would take this truth and cause it to well up inside of us, to recognize that we have the power, we have the redeeming message that will make a difference for a world that desperately needs to hear your gospel message. Lord, cause us to be more and more the witnesses that you want us to be in this dark and fallen world that your light might shine ever more brightly. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.